You ready, Bassy? Ready. Three, two, one. Welcome in, Husker Extra Podcast. I'm Chris. There's Parker. There's Steve. Gus is uh, digging through his toys over there. You may hear him in the background. He's he's a part of today's today's festivities as well. Special uh, guest Gus. Special guest Gus is 3:46 p.m. Good here job. on a Wednesday on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, we're sponsored as always by Tom Densdale Hyundai of Grand Island. Appreciate those guys helping us out. If you need to if you need to upgrade your vehicular uh, tendencies, go to Tom Densdale Hyundai. They'll help you out. Things to discuss today. We'll touch on some hoops later on. Nebraska beat South Dakota last night to improve to three and one. We'll, we'll go football first, as we generally do on this podcast. Nebraska playing at Purdue Saturday, another 11 a.m. kickoff out there in West Lafayette. Um, a few different things, a few different ways we can go here. I guess we'll start with this. Um, in your guys' eyes, you know, what's what's Nebraska playing for here outside of this coming weekend? A lot of uncertainty on the schedule. Uh, this this could be it. Uh, in reality, we we don't know that for sure, but things things don't look great. But so, you know, at this point, what is Nebraska? What is this one win team playing for as the season starts to kind of reach its end here? Well, yeah, they're two and they're two and nine going back to last season. So, I mean, they're trying to get things rolling. I would think. I mean, I would think the team leaders would be very interested in getting momentum going in the right direction. Anybody, anybody in the program, I would think would be interested in that two and nine. They've won two of their last 11. They got to get it going. I think, I think that should be motivation enough, but that's not the only thing you mentioned it. We don't know for sure if they're going to, they don't know for sure if they're going to play Minnesota. So you just have precious few opportunities to play the sport. The one thing I'm going to say, and I'm not getting on a soapbox, it's just one more, two more sentences. So I've never understood. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But, but I've never underststood football teams who can't get up for games because there's so you. few of them. There's so I'm few. With of you them. Yep. But it happens. I know they're human. We're humans, and they're humans, and all that. Well, it happened two weeks ago here. Yeah, it's real. But it happens to Alabama. I mean, Alabama doesn't show up every Saturday usually. I mean, there might be one Saturday a year that that uh, Alabama's not hitting on all cylinders and they're a little flat, but I'll never quite understand that phenomenon. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, part of it is just, you know, you want to play. I mean, they, they fought to play um, all offseason um, and after the Big Ten postponed or canceled its season or whatever. And so, um, you know, you're playing because there's a game on the schedule and and, you know, that's you don't know how many chances you're going to get for some of these guys. It might be the last games they play in their college career or last game they play at Nebraska or whatever. And so, um, you know, that's definitely part of it. And then part of it too is, you know, there's a lot of, there's been some talk in the last couple of weeks about developing and a springboard to next year and all of that. And I'm, I, I get that. I mean, that's, that's definitely part of the equation at this point. It's not, you're not playing for a conference championship. So at some point, yeah, you're trying to build, you know, further build the foundation and all of that. But the other thing I would say is, you know, the, I think the optics of this season, you know, Scott Frost says a lot that he can see within the walls, the pro the, the progress that's in the program. And I don't think that he's blowing smoke on that. Like, I believe that that's what he sees, but I, it would be good for people outside the walls to see it too in the, in the manner of a couple of wins here down the stretch. And I don't, I mean, 
would Nebraska fans like it? Sure. But I, I think, you know, as importantly, if we're being honest, it's a, it's a recruiting conversation. I mean, it's going to get more and more difficult to recruit kids and keep kids in Lincoln um, if the record keeps looking ugly season to season. And on top of that, the 2020, I'm not talking about the 2021 recruiting class. Most of those guys are already in the class. Most of them are solid. There might be some movement over the last couple of weeks here before signing day. It happens every year. Um, but 2022 in particular is going to be a weird recruiting cycle as it is already because you're not going to get those kids on campus until, I mean, probably the summer at the earliest. And so what the way that you're building relationships with a lot of those guys is over Zoom, virtual visits, that kind of thing. And they don't, they don't, those kids don't get to come to a junior day in January or in March during spring ball or whatever, see the facilities, see the stadium, see a spring game with 90,000 people there. They see what's on social media and they see conversation, they have conversations with coaches and that's it. So to me, like, I don't think you want to go into the 2020 recruiting class saying, Hey guys, I know we were one in seven, but you know, that doesn't, that's not a good that that would not be a good starting place for. You don't feel like that's a good way to recruit high level talent to your program. Yeah, exactly, especially <laughs> when those kids don't get to come to campus and see like, yeah. oh yeah, I could actually I actually see you know what I what I like about this place. Yeah. Well, it's it's the it's the old saying right? Like film don't lie. Yeah, like you gotta you gotta put you gotta put good stuff on film, and Nebraska has put a whole lot of good stuff on film this year or last year um, or the year before that. And you're exactly right, Parker. You're playing for – you're obviously you, you want to win and you, and you want to play for this year's team and those guys, but you're playing for the future uh, as much as anything. You're playing for recruiting. You're playing for trying to lock up guys and you're in this coming class, the class after that, and, and trying to keep, keep accruing talent. And it's exactly what you said. You can't do that. When, especially now when you can't have kids on campus, you can't do that if you're not putting something on film that is tangible and something that says, yes, we are making progress and we want you to be a part of that. That if, if Nebraska doesn't play another game this year, if for some reason, you know, this Purdue game Saturday were to get canceled and Nebraska's game next week got canceled and that was it, that would be a, I don't want to say a nightmare scenario for the Huskers, but it'd be a pretty bad deal because your last the last things kids are going to see are you getting your tail kicked in by Illinois and you trying really hard and still getting beat by Iowa. And is that really what you want your recruiting to be? Well, we tried hard and we still lost. So yeah, it's, it's, it's vitally important that Nebraska get this game, hopefully get at least one more and, and play well on that because you need that, you need that stuff going forward for your program. But also, I mean, and then the, then the next thing I would say is, is if you, if they win the next two games or two of the next three or all of the next three or whoever they play in the crossover game or whatever, if you finish strong, put it that way, it's not just going to happen magically. It's going to happen because you played well enough to do it. I mean, you know, Purdue's not a great team by any stretch of the imagination. They've lost three in a row, but they beat Iowa at the beginning of the year. They're capable of, of winning games in the Big Ten. Um, and same with Minnesota. It's not the 11-win Minnesota of last year, but teams aren't just going to hand it to you. So if you win, for as much as we talk about little things and discipline and details and all that costing Nebraska early in the season, if you do some of those things right and win a couple of games down the stretch, I don't think it can hurt to reinforce the you know positive 
uh, outcomes and good habits and, and the, the sort of level that it takes to win games um, going into an off season, you know? So I, I don't, I mean, it's, is it life or death? No, but it'd be, I think, honestly, like, I think it, it will have a big part in what the beginning portion of the off season feels like is how, how Nebraska it's, finishes over the next couple of weeks. It's life or death. Um, Baz, <laughs> what, 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 what have you seen on Purdue? Yeah. Well, um, have you, have you scouted that out yet? I've, I'm, 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 I'm mid scout as we speak. Um, as, as Parker said, they've lost three in a row and a lot of it's been because of failings they've had defensively. And, and a lot of it sounds familiar. They can't get off the field on third down. You know, they, they can't get, they can't get stops when they really need to get stops that they, they allow teams to, to kind of go up and down the field on them. It, it's kind of similar to the same issues that have plagued Nebraska when Nebraska has not played well on that side of the ball. And if that sounds familiar, it should, because obviously Bob Diaco is the, is the defensive coordinator up at Purdue, but you know, that that's a team with obviously an unbelievable talent at receiver and David Bell, two unbelievable talents at receiver, David Bell, Rondale Moore, who was hurt for the first part of the year, but has played the last three solid quarterback. The running game has been a little better. Uh, the last couple of weeks with Xander Horvath. He's rushed for over 100 yards his last two games. He's the first guy to do that for Purdue in three or four seasons, I think. I don't remember the exact number, but it's been a little while. So this this team, it does a lot of things right, and, and it's it's okay, but they've just been on the wrong end of some stuff. You know, they, they allowed Rutgers to put together, what was it, like a 21-play drive last week or something like that to take the lead, you know, when, when they could have won that game. So they're not that far off from having a pretty good record with a couple pretty good wins on it. So it's, this is no, this is no cakewalk by any means for, for, well, not that any game's a cakewalk. Nebraska's proven that over and over and over again, but this is a good team. Uh, they, they've got talent and Nebraska historically has struggled uh, up at West Lafayette the last few years. So yeah, it, it, there's, there's plenty to be concerned about if you're, if you're the Nebraska coaching staff and, and you're a fan getting ready to watch this game. Uh, Purdue will be without Derek Barnes. Yeah, the linebacker got was hit with targeting in the second half um, last week, and that's a big loss. That's their leading tackler yes. uh, this season, um, and they've had some injuries on that side of the ball anyway. Uh, George Carlaitis has been banged up. Their their stud defensive end. They they already were hurting their <laughs> were hurting their literally with, with injuries, and now now you're losing a guy for a half that, that really kind of anchors the middle of your defense. So yeah, they're, 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 they're going to be a little shorthand. They're like Nebraska, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of shorthanded at linebacker. They're desperate for a win that they've, they've had some up and down play this year. It's really two teams that kind of mirror each other a little bit. I think. Yeah. It was concerning last week with Purdue's defense in the second half in particular that um, they couldn't, I mean, Noah Vedrill didn't play in that game for Rutgers um, Rutgers starting quarterbacks out and they couldn't get off the field in the second half against Arthur Sitkowski and Johnny Langan, um, even though it was pretty much just run the quarterback and throw it when you absolutely have to, you know, and that was Rutgers really was able to um, control. I don't remember what the time of possession ended up being. It was like 37 minutes or something like that for Rutgers, but um, they really controlled the second half of that game in large part because they were on the field for most of it. Um, and so you know, Nebraska wants to play fast. You know, they want to play with tempo and that both Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey are capable of doing that. Um, 
But also, I think, I mean, don't don't put it pat. I mean, Nebraska hasn't shown consistently that it can go 12, 14 plays without committing a penalty or, you know, shooting itself in the foot in some way. But they won't complain about long scoring drives uh, against Purdue because if they if they stay on the field and keep those receivers off the field, I mean, that's, you know, that's not so bad. Speaking of quarterbacks. Oh, baby. Segway. That's a segue. Well, it's almost like you got a radio show. You are, do you do this professionally? I professionally is a loose, a very loose generous term. term. Yeah, uh, but Sipple's right. This is this is our hot topic for the week. Nebraska went with two quarterbacks last week, uh, pretty extensively. Looks like they're going to do it again this <clears> weekend. <throat> so the question is, the hot topic is, how long does NU does Nebraska go forward? with two quarterback system, as long as Adrian Martinez and, and Luke McCaffrey are both in this program? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I wonder if Scott, now don't jump me on this, but would, would, would Scott Frost characterize it as a two quarterback system? Or would he just say, we're just using two quarterbacks right now? Because um, it's the best way that we feel. Okay, here's where the bottom line to me. This is what I would say if I were a coach. I'm not, I'm not calling this a two quarterback system. You are, I'm just doing, I'm just doing what is, what I think is best to win the game in front of me. And if, if that's what it is going forward, that's what it's going to be. I don't know that it will be though. How can I predict it? I'm talking as a coach right now. How, how can I predict what it's going to be? Maybe one guy will shoot out ahead of the other, but if nobody does, then I guess we're just going to keep doing what we have to do every week to beat the opponent. It's next on our schedule. Sounds like a two quarterback system. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. I mean, I would, uh, I would go back to what Scott Frost said at the beginning of the year um, when he said Luke and Adrian are two of our best playmakers, and we need all, all the playmakers we can get. Yeah, on the field, you know. So, yeah, I mean, if, call it what you want: two quarterback system, playing two quarterbacks whatever, if you really believe that, that those two, two guys are two of your best playmakers, why wouldn't you keep doing that as long as both guys here? Ah, all right. You know, right. and, and whether, whether that means they're both playing quarterback, whether that means you see Luke McCaffrey move around a little bit and, and do like he did in the Ohio State game and play in the slot and motion to the backfield and, and all those different things. Why wouldn't you do that? If, if like we just talked about how badly this team needs a win, if, if you need to win that badly, you've got, you got to get your best guys out there. And, like, look, the head coach has said that's two of their best guys. So Good point, Baz. You know, as long as that's the case, that's what's going to happen. And, and it sure, it's almost certainly that's what's going to continue to happen through the rest of this year, however much is left. What does that mean when you get into a, an offseason and you go through spring ball and you have competition and Logan Smothers is a year older and here comes Henrik Harburg and, and whoever, whatever else happens as far as attrition and addition and subtraction? There's a, a lot of variables. But for now, yeah, it's, it, it's going to continue because I think it has to continue because Nebraska needs its best guys out there, and those are two of Nebraska's best guys. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that they'll roll with it in some – in some form or fashion, like what we saw against Iowa for the rest of the year. But I would push back. I mean, Frost said what he said at the beginning of the year about those guys being two of their best players. But after the first half or so of Ohio State, they didn't they didn't use them like that. I mean, 
they started Adrian Martinez against Northwestern and, and Luke McCaffrey didn't play at all until they benched one play, I think, until they benched Adrian after he threw that interception in the end zone. And then the next week against Penn State, you know, Adrian didn't play a single snap. So that, that was not they, – they played one guy for the most part after the early uh, run stuff against Ohio State. Um, and then they, and then McCaffrey got a couple series at the end of the game at quarterback because the game was out of reach. And then after that, they went whatever, three games or so with sort of like a starter, but each guy got benched, um, Martinez against Northwestern and then uh, McCaffrey against Illinois. So this was the first time I thought that, I mean, I'm not breaking any totally new ground here, but the way that they deployed those two guys against Iowa was different than they've done it in any game so far to this point. You, thought, you felt like McCaffrey got benched at Illinois, against Illinois? When they pulled him out of the game after his third interception and fourth turnover of the day? <laughs> well, I thought – I just thought they put Adrian in at the end. Yeah, I, I mean – yeah, I don't – yeah, I suppose maybe it was just the game was out of reach, so they got Martinez a series. But then, I mean, then they went back to Adrian as a starter the next week. So, I, I mean, right. I guess maybe it, maybe it was a benching, maybe it wasn't, but – they just they used them differently against Iowa, and so I think you'll see some. Yeah. I think you'll see some variation of that. If you want to talk beyond this season, I think it's really hard to say just because who knows what happens. Quarterback rooms very rarely stay completely static over the course of an off season. Um, guys develop. You know, uh, Luke McCaffrey is going to keep getting better. Um, you would think that he would continue to make strides in the passing game, and and Adrian should too. Um, and then the other the, – the last thing I would say about it is as long as Luke McCaffrey's in the program, this, this general line of thinking is going to continue because he's so talented that if he's not the starting quarterback, there's always going to be a role for him because of the caliber of football player he is. And so this idea of like how many quarterbacks you're going to use, well, even if – Adrian Martinez is the guy in 2021. Let's say he just wins the job. Like McCaffrey's still going to be involved to some degree, you would think. Um, and so as long as McCaffrey's a, a Nebraska Cornhusker, um, he's either going to be the starting quarterback or he's going to be involved in the offense in some way, shape, or form. So um, I, I don't know if it'll be a true quote-unquote two-quarterback system after this year. Scott Frost has said in the past he prefers not to have that. Um but McCaffrey's going to have a say in the offense for as long as he's in the program. I wonder, uh, just taking a bit – hi, Gus. Um, uh, <laughs> I just wonder, taking a step back a little bit, if the, if the complicated nature of this conversation is good, good for the offense and good for the program, it seems a little too complex for me. I just prefer a guy to win the job. That's what I'd like. Yeah, and I think that's what – you know, that's what – Frost said that before this season, right? I mean, they wanted to pick one guy and kind of go with them. And they used McCaffrey as a change of pace in the Ohio State game a little bit. But the idea was that Martinez was going to be the starter. Um, but that only lasted until that interception in the end zone against Northwestern. Um, and then McCaffrey had a chance to run away with the job after that. And he, he didn't do it. So it is a little bit of, I think they're searching for the right mixture because neither of those guys has totally run away with the job this year and each has had a chance to do it. Um, I think that they, they I think they, they they pulled Adrian out of there too early. 
I, I think that that Northwestern, maybe they didn't, we didn't know how good Northwestern was. Um, I thought Adrian reasserted himself in the role last week when he really only threw one incompletion. He threw two technically, but one was a, he, he threw it away intentionally. Um, I, I, I think what I think is Adrian will continue to assert himself as the starter going forward and the, and the conversation will become less complicated. It's, it's, it is amazing, right? I mean, with Northwestern, we talked, maybe talked a little bit about this uh, last week, but, you know, Adrian threw that interception against Northwestern, only one he's thrown this year. Now he's fumbled it a couple times. Uh, Spencer Petrus from Iowa, three of his five interceptions on the season for Iowa came against Northwestern. Wisconsin's only played three games, but Graham Mertz, all three of his interceptions on the year came against Northwestern. I mean, Northwestern's made every quarterback they've played against pretty much. Um, except for Rocky Lombardi somehow for Michigan state uh, look pretty bad so far this year. Yeah, that's, 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 that tells I'm going to say that a few more times. That tells you all you need to know, really. I mean, Adrian's been okay. He hasn't been great. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when we all thought Adrian was going to be going to the NFL draft after this year. And now we're talking yep. about him, you know, being in a quarterback battle the rest of this year and maybe into next year too, if both those guys stick around. So yeah, it's it's fast. It's probably the most fascinating thing to me about this season. Other stuff, COVID related stuff aside, because it's such a it's such a unique thing for this program. You know, we haven't really seen this since what? Probably when Bobby Newcomb was here. You know, back back in the days when there was yeah a Bobby rift. Newcomb and Crouch a little and bit. Crouch were kind of going was, back and was, forth. Yeah, there was a back and forth. Yeah, and I mean, you just—it's just not well, something you've. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is—it is what it is. So it's just—it's a unique situation in a unique year. So why wouldn't you continue to go forward with it? I guess is kind of. Taylor Martinez, uh, Zach, uh, who was it? Zach Lee. They went oh, back. Yeah. They went back and forth a little yeah. bit. Yep. Well, I wrote a story uh, earlier this fall about Jerry Taggy and Van Brownson going back and yeah. forth. That, tur- that two quarterback system worked out all right. Worked out pretty it good, did. didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it did. It can. Um, but you have to have the right guys, too. And that's the, that's the other thing about it. Like, it seems like if it's going to work, it could work with these two guys, right? Yeah. Like, they, they, yeah. they say all the right things. They seem to have the right makeup as, as people, as leaders, as teammates, all that stuff. So if it was going to work like it did with, with Taggy and, and Brownson, it seems like it could work with, with Martinez and McCaffrey. The thing that's sort of interesting about it, though, is that for a two quarterback, like normally with a two quarterback system, you would think that you're doing that because the guys have different skill sets that you want to use, highlight both of them. But that's not really the case with Martinez and McCaffrey. I mean, you could say that, um, you know, Martinez at this point is probably a better passer than than McCaffrey is. McCaffrey might be yes. a little yes. might be a little bit faster than Martinez, but we're not talking about substantially different styles of players. I mean, they were both recruited to this system. Matt Lubick said this week they can both run every play in the playbook. So it's sort of like <coughs> it's sort of like a it's like a fastball and a changeup. It's not like a it's not like Randy Johnson and then a knuckleballer, you know, they're, they're like, they're like one style of quarterback who have subtleties to their games that are different rather than two different, totally different styles of 
player. And that just sort of not only is it at this point two guys playing, but they're, so, they're similar players, which it doesn't seem like the recipe for having two guys play, but whatever. If it, if it works, then by all means, go uh, for it. Yeah, I dare say fastball slider. Fastball slider. Oh, fastball and okay. another fastball. Yeah, it's like a four. <laughs> no, they're like a four. Ball. They are. No, that's actually better. It's like a than four seam bass fastball and like a, yeah, like, a cut, like a cut, like a two yeah. seam fastball. Okay, yeah. cutter. A, a cutter. cutter. Yeah, McCaffrey's a cutter. a cutter. He's a cutter. If I break your bat with my cutter, I got a nasty cutter. Do you? I rip it in there about sixty-four miles an hour. Rip, rip. <laughs> Sounds like a changeup. Yeah. Um, well, whoever plays quarterback. Uh, Saturday, if they both do, they'll be going up against an old friend uh, from Nebraska, uh, a guy we all know and all love and and all like to 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 speak about and joke about to this day, Bob Diaco, friend of the defense, program, friend of the program, Bob Diaco, um, the first year's defensive coordinator at Purdue has spoken to the media once uh, up there this season, and that was before the season started. Has not made any subsequent appearances uh, with the media, which is unfortunate for the media um, in West Lafayette because they just see him squealing out in the parking lot with his Firebird with the T-tops off. Firebird? What are we talking about here? What do you mean what are we talking about? We're talking about Fred. We're we're talking about Bob Diaco's Firebird (laughs) that he absolutely drives through West Lafayette with the T-tops off, wearing his $700 sunglasses and a silk scarf driving gloves just ripping <laughs> he would he would he would look good in a thunderbird he would look good sunglasses. look i'm not making fun of the man like he would look great in a in a firebird with the t-tops off but anyway i i guess we we all know what happened when bob diaco was here it will be interesting to see how nebraska attacks a bob diaco coach defense now that they're on the other side of it scott frost has seen it before um, when, when Bob Diaco was at Connecticut and Scott Frost at Central Florida and the, uh, the quote-unquote civil conflict trophy was up for grabs and, and the Central Florida just kind of left it where it was after they won that game. So I guess your guys' thoughts just on, on seeing our old friend Bob this weekend. Bob's going to concentrate on third downs. Uh, yes. Rutgers, was, Rutgers was 10 for 17 on third down. Minnesota – in their three-game losing streak, the Boilermakers haven't been good on third down, as you mentioned. Rutgers 10 for 17. Minnesota was 7 for 11 on third down. Uh, Northwestern wasn't great, 7 for 18, but that computes to 52.1%. And that's that's been part of the issue. They're not getting they, – they've only had one sack in two games and forced one turnover in two games. Um, so they're not – as you say, said before, defense is an issue, not their only issue. Um, Diaco, I guess is the, the, I think you guys know this better than I do, but his whole thing or a lot of his thing is keeping everything in front, not giving up big plays. And they're, they've done pretty well that way. I think. Yeah, they have their, their numbers. I mean, defensively, they haven't been great, obviously, particularly during the three game losing streak. And, and it's still a small, relatively small sample size, five games, like everything is this year, but um, they've been better almost across the board defensively than they were last year. Now they were bad defensively last year, which is why Jeff Brom felt it necessary to hire a new defensive coordinator, but it hasn't been all bad. It'll be interesting 
to see how it goes. Because Baz, like you said, I mean, this is a coaching staff that's seen this system before. It was 2016, so it was the year before, um, you know, UCF really got it rolling. Um, and it was Mackenzie Milton as a freshman. Um, but Central Florida won that game 24 to 16 or something like that. So it wasn't a pretty game. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, it didn't, obviously 2017 was a bad uh, year around here for Nebraska. The coaching staff got fired, you know, that side of the ball had its fair share, uh, to do with that season sort of spiraling. Um, but I don't think maybe it will, maybe it won't. I just don't, I, it'd be, it's hard to imagine how it would turn into any kind of sideshow or anything like that this weekend. I mean, oh, you know, he doesn't, will. he doesn't do interviews, which is whatever. I mean, that's a good setup. Um, and you know, it's just a, it's just a game, uh, between, you know, an offensive play caller and a defensive play caller who have seen each other before. So it'll be, it'll be interesting, but I do wonder simply, I mean, when, you know, when we get to Ross State Stadium, we get set up in the press box. I'm going to be looking down in the field for warm-ups because I want to see him, like, wind, windmilling passes at the linebackers. They just do that. <laughs> Remember that? Remember how fast yeah, he, would, he could throw the ball to linebackers at a more rapid pace than anyone I've ever seen before. It's a, it was a, that was maybe the most impressive part of his tenure at Nebraska. It and he would, like, yell at the manager if the manager, like, dropped one that was coming back and couldn't, like, feed it into his cannon fast enough. So that part of it will be interesting. The rest of it. Yeah. Make sure you point that out to me. Go ahead, Baz. No, I, I was just laughing because that, that might end up being the most interesting part of the game. <laughs> like, it's just like two middling teams. Like, they're not great. Like, the, the, the Bob Diaco won't be a sideshow. Like, you're right. It's, it is what it is. It's just a former coach going against his team and whatever. But the, the fact that we're joking about Bob Diaco firing fast pitch softballs at his linebackers probably tells you about how important that is to, to this part of the game. You know, it would maybe... have been a lot more interesting if this would have actually been September 5th with them coming to Lincoln yes. and a full stadium. Yes. Like that would have been a little bit different uh, than the setup that we've got currently. But I mean, there's only a few, there's only a handful of guys even on Nebraska's roster that played for him that year. So I mean, Stilly, Doman, Boodle, Colin Miller, uh, DeAndre Thomas, I guess. It's, there's, yeah, it's a pretty small number. Yeah. Well, there you go. Any other any other football? Oh, we, need, we should probably do some football predictions. Huh? Picks. Then we can talk a little hoops. You want me to go first? That'd Light be great, Bass. All right. Well, I think I will pick Purdue this week because, again, we're, we're to that point where Nebraska's got to do it before I can pick them. And they did it against Penn State, and then I picked them, and then look what happened against Illinois. So, and, you know, they played they played hard against Iowa. Well, congratulations. You did exactly what you should have done. You, you tried hard in a football game. Like, that should be a prerequisite. So, I again, like, I just – can Nebraska win this game? Absolutely. Um, will they? I don't know. They, they've got to go out and prove it. And until they do, it's just – it's hard for me – to pick them, I think Purdue's dangerous enough on offense with that passing game that they can get some stuff done, especially if Nebraska can't generate a pass rush. Um, 
can Nebraska's offense play mistake free against a defense that hasn't forced a lot of mistakes out of its opponents? You know, this is, this is a really good and a really interesting test for Nebraska's offense, I think, because like Sipple said, this Purdue defense doesn't force a lot of turnovers, doesn't really get off the field on third down, gives up some long drives, you know, and what happens on long drives? Some teams like Nebraska tend to make mistakes on offense. So if they avoid that stuff, yeah, they'll have a pretty good shot to win. I don't know if they'll avoid it. So I'll pick Purdue. I'll pick Purdue in a high-scoring game. I'll say 34 to 31. Interesting. 34 to 31 Purdue is what Baz is picking. Yeah, I'm not picking Purdue. I'm picking an overtime game. This game's going to – this is a uh, close game, hard-fought game, going to OT – and I think the score's similar to what Baz predicted, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give Nebraska the edge. Um, I'm gonna say 35-28. They'll win by seven in OT. Can you do that? Yeah, you can do that. Um, you can that, do that. That, yes. Yeah, that's gonna that's, get the ball first in overtime, score a touchdown, kick the extra point, and then force a f- Purdue off the field at some point. Yeah, I just. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to break down what I think is going to happen. I think they're really evenly matched. Therefore, I think they're going to OT. And I think Adrian Martinez will make like he did last year when he, I don't know, he, was, he, was, he played terrible in the first half, but he gave him the lead in the second half of that game at Purdue because he played pretty well. And he did give the, he gave him a lead with a late touchdown. And then it was the defense that couldn't close the deal. Adrian received way too much criticism last year for that loss. The defense had a shot to close the deal against a second string quarterback who got hurt and then a third string quarterback and, and King Daru, they couldn't stop. I mean, it was bizarre. It was like, he was all of a sudden JK Dobbins and they, you know, and that, and it was the defense that didn't close the deal. Whatever that last Adrian, play, that, Adrian will make the necessary plays in overtime to win. That last play in that game where they they ran like the end around reverse, yeah. And like everybody in the universe saw it coming, and the guy <laughs> still he could have he could have walked on his hands into the end zone because it wasn't except <laughs> everyone on the universe except for JoJo Delman, except for the eleven guys on the field that should have been watching for that. Yeah, like, that would be a sight to see. <laughs> he just puts the ball, bounces the ball on top of his feet, and walks in on his hands into the end zone. I'm surprised he didn't do that. That was David Bell, right? That that yes, it was. Yeah, it was David Bell. Yep. Yeah. I I I simple. The reason why I broke down that overtime scenario for you is because that's the only way to win by seven in overtime. Thank you. Yeah. That's why. That's why I said that. I wasn't trying to like get hyper specific on you. Um. Yeah. I don't. Just I'm gonna set myself up for the Baznet version of old takes exposed here, but. <laughs> Um, Baz is five games behind me and Sipple in the slim pickings so far this year. And it's going to be, you had to say that there it is because I'm going to pick Nebraska too. And I said that really confidently, even though I really have no confidence in this pick. Um, so I'm just setting myself up for failure. I picked a Nebraska 31 to 28. And I, I basically, it's hard to use a game from the past year as like a basis for picking a game. But I think that Nebraska's made enough strides defensively, and it's a different challenge. Like David Bell and Rondell Moore is a different style challenge than what they faced last week against Iowa. But I think that they, they're capable of making enough plays defensively. 
Um, and I wouldn't expect Adrian to play as poorly as he did last year against Purdue. And again, like Eric Chenander said it today, that it go, it's both ways. It's not just quarterback play. Like Eric Chenander said it today. He said, you know, we tackled really bad in that game last year. Um, and I don't think they will this year. I, mean, I can't say I think it's going to be pretty, um, but I think it's enough for Nebraska to get it done. 31-28. I feel like one of those games. I feel like it's one of those games that's going to be close, but it's not going to be very good. Like you know what I mean? Like there's a difference between close games and good games. Like it's gonna <laughs> there's gonna be like some like some dumb stuff that happens both ways. Like Purdue's absolutely gonna score a very stupid touchdown because Nebraska has like 10 guys on the field on defense or something like that. And Nebraska will get one of those going the other way. Like it'll just be one of those ugly games, I think. What if it looks like a game officiated by Kelly Pfeiffer and Steve McJunkins. Oh, God. And Rob Kuhneman, for that matter. That's what I got to watch last night at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday in an empty Pinnacle Bank arena. Um, so we switch over to hoops here. Nebraska beat <laughs> South Dakota 76-69. It's no wonder you're in such a good mood. Oh, my God, Sip. I was incredulous <laughs> last night. Where'd you really Everybody was incredulous. Yeah. Were you he- were you heckling the officials from the <laughs> No, because I probably would have gotten thrown out if I would have. Yeah. It would have hurt me for sure, because it's pretty quiet in there these days. That's for sure. It's um it was ugly. Heckling the officials. Come on, Pfeiffer! Kelly! <laughs> it's nine o'clock. Why are you at the monitor? <laughs> That actually happened. It was 9 p.m. I got a mon- deadline. <laughs> they were actually at the monitor at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night, like reviewing an obvious shot clock violation that was not obvious to everyone but the three guys officiating the game. So it was a sloppy first half. It was ugly. Teddy Allen had three fouls early. Nebraska didn't really get going. They were down three with like seven minutes left in the first half. I guess the South Dakota team that had lost its previous two games by double digits, not a great South Dakota team. Then they got the lead by halftime. They put a little run together, got up by 18. They, okay, they're putting it away now. And then they went it by seven. South Dakota kind of made it mildly interesting there at the end. But, hey, three and one's three and one. That's a lot better than they were last year at, at yep. this point. You know, I think that I think last year's team loses that game um, last night because it, it was not going Nebraska's way, especially in the first half with the foul trouble. And, you know, last year's team didn't have Teddy Allen and Shamil Stevenson. And, and Delano Benton and all those other guys. And we saw Teddy take it over on offense last night, uh, live up to the Teddy Buckets nickname, uh, scored, I think, 11 of their four, first 14 out of the locker room last night. And then Shamil Stevenson comes in and guards uh, Stanley Amude, um, South Dakota's all-Summit League pick, holds him to five points, no field goals over the last 13 minutes of the game. Um, so I think it just showed – that this team, yeah, when it's good for them, they can look, it can look really pretty when it's going good. And, and we've seen that. And, you know, we saw them score 102 against McNeese. We've seen them put runs together against the other three teams. You know, I think last night they had seven points in 52 seconds and had a 9-0 run in like a minute and a half or something like that. Like When it's going good, it, it looks really good with those guys. And when it's ugly, it's, it's, it's ugly. And the, the first time they played ugly, they lost to Nevada. And, and last night they showed that they can win ugly. South Dakota wasn't great. Nebraska didn't play very well, especially offensively, but they, they got it done. You know, they got, they overcame some early troubles. They put together a big lead and then they, they got slapped at the end, but they held on. So it was a, that's a good win. Any win's a good win uh, after you win seven games in a season the year before, but that was a nice win for Nebraska 
you know, playing at it, playing at night for the first time, having a tough time and, and just finding a way to get the job done. Cool. All right. Good talk. I, one of the things, <laughs> one of the things I'm interested in and, and we might, I mean, Georgia Tech and Creighton will be a good test. I think of, of obviously it'll show sort of where Nebraska stands before big 10 play, but there's two things that sort of jump out to you when you watch them play that I'm, I'm curious if they last. And one of them is just the, they're one of the better teams in the country so far in the rate that they force turnovers. Um, they're, they're long and they're active and they're in passing lanes. And if that's something that they can transfer into conference play and, and hang their hat on through the year, um, that, that would really help. And it's hard. I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about basketball to know if that's, you know, obviously when teams are, you're playing against teams that are more your own size and have more length and all of that, you know, maybe you don't expect to be in quite as many passing lanes or whatever, but um, I've been just generally speaking, I've been impressed by the way that they've defended overall so far this year and forced some, some havoc on that end of the floor. I got a question for Baz. Yeah. They're long. How athletic is Nebraska? They're, they're pretty athletic. I would say like Trey McGowan's is a freak athlete. Like he's a freak. Like he can jump out of the gym, uh, just crazy athleticism on the defensive end. I think, I think Delano Banton is a pretty good athlete. He may not show it because he's so long that it looks like he's maybe not moving real fast, but he, he like, he gets a guy in his hip and he's at the rim in like a step or two steps. Yeah. Like he's just so long, you know? And, I think Shamil Stevenson is a really good athlete who maybe doesn't, again, doesn't again look like one because of his size, you know, 6'6", 245. But just a dude that's, that has a lot of athleticism and understands how to play the game. That's kind of the main thing they have is they have a couple athletes, but they have guys that just understand how to play basketball. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like Teddy Allen probably isn't a great athlete, no. like when you're comparing, but the dude, the dude knows how to play. Like yeah. he knows how to get to the bucket. He knows how to draw contact and he's been really good on defense, you know, anticipating getting in passing lanes and things like that. So it's not necessarily athleticism with this group and that'll get better obviously next year with the recruiting class that's coming in, but they just have dudes that, that know how to play and have played a lot of ball and, and understand how to, how to kind of navigate the ebbs and flows of a game. And yeah, you, you want athletes and you want dudes that can jump out of the gym, but you need guys like that too, that understand that, there's going to be points in the game where you're having to grind and, and you're not making shots and it's just kind of gross and ugly and whatever. So that's, if nothing else, they have that. And and they didn't necessarily have that last year. I think that's. No, no, they're that's way. Them. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. They're way, they're way better than last year, it, it's, but they did it's, not, they did not strike me as very explosive when no. I, I watched against the bat. Yeah. And that's kind no, of what that, you're that, that's kind of why I'm curious how that that translates over the course of the year, because it's clearly not like they're not forcing a bunch of turnovers because they're so superior athletically to no. other teams. Yeah. They're doing it because they understand how to play and they have some length to them, even if they're not, you know, super bouncy. Um, they, right. they kind of it looks it just looks to me on watching just on TV a couple games that they sort of just understand how to be in passing lanes you know, how to time it and that sort of stuff. And I mean, if you can disrupt offense in the big 10, I mean, it's a rugged league, obviously, but you have a chance. You can give yourself yeah. a chance sort of on a night to night basis if you can do that. Yeah. And look, 
this team's never going to hang its hat on defense, and and we know that they want to they want to re they want to rebound the ball and get out and run and beat you in transition and beat you with open threes and things like that. So, it will they are they going to give up some points in the Big Ten? Yes, just because they're going to be playing better teams. You know, Michigan State's a little different animal than Nevada or South Dakota or North Dakota State. You know, in Indiana, I've watched Indiana a couple times here in the Maui Invitational, and they're just so big and long and, and huge dude like it's just going to be different you know so but Nebraska's unique too in the way they play they need some more shooting from the outside I think I think it's really going to help them to get Derek Walker back after their after his suspension and Eduardo Andre back because I gave you some more rim protection some more rebounding so yeah it's this isn't a this isn't a group of, this isn't five slam a jamma to, to give a reference that Sipple might understand. This isn't, this isn't the Houston <laughs> basketball teams with Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drex. It's not, they're not high fly. Okay. Okay. But they, they, it's, it's a really fascinating team because it's, it's so, they're so smart when it comes to basketball. They just, they don't do a lot of dumb stuff. Now they did some dumb stuff late last night. They got sloppy. They turned it over a little bit and they, they can get a little stagnant on offense. Teams have kind of started to figure out if you kind of clog, driving lanes and, and turn them into drivers they'll stand around a little bit and, and that's not great so they need to get that fixed but it's a team that that knows how to play and understands how to play and if you got that that you, you're going to have a chance a lot of nights you know that's something I always think about what Bob Knight said you know smart wins you know and and smart beat Bob Knight was a big fan of smart beats athleticism and I'm not saying that Nebraska is a Bob Knight coached Indiana team but They've got smart guys, and that's that's going to help them down the road. All right, let's, what, let's uh, call it good. Did you see what Garza did, Luka Garza did for Iowa on Friday night last week, Baz? Oh, you mean 36 in the first half and didn't miss a shot? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You didn't you see didn't that, this simple? We were getting the play-by-play in the press box at Kinnick, basically, from the – He was – I, th- I believe he was 14 of 14 no, – 14 of – 14 of 14. Yeah. 12 of 12 in the first half, something first like that. Half. Who did 36 they play? points. Oh, like Southern or somebody like that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it doesn't matter. He had 36 points in the first half. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter who you do that against. Oh, it but, matters. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell Luca that when he's got 27 and 18 the first time they play Nebraska and he's missed. Like he didn't two. do anything. What did he do against Nebraska here last year? He didn't do much. They they took he him didn't away. Do much. Yeah. They surrounded him with four guys and said, you're going to beat us from three, and Iowa couldn't do it. Yeah, they then, they went out to, then they went out to Iowa City and said, we're going to surround Luca Garza with four guys and you're going to beat us from three. And, and Iowa scored 96 points. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, you, you know, you win some, you lose some. But again, like Nebraska's better equipped to play that team this year. You know, like, yeah. and they only play him once. And I believe it's after they get Derek Walker back, which would be massive as far as being able to, to guard uh, Luca Garza. Let me look at the schedule here and see where they play Iowa. He didn't they do anything against Nebraska in that first game. Simple. He only had sixteen and twelve. Yeah, but he didn't. It was some of it was garbage. I mean, it wasn't sixteen and twelve. Is I mean, Thor can get that's nothing. That's nothing. That's yeah. nothing. Every college that's, player in ba- in college basketball goes for sixteen and twelve. Sometimes he didn't do yeah. anything in that game notable. Um, they will play Iowa after they get Derek Walker back. Which would be huge because if Lat Mayan is having to guard Luca Garza, it's not going to go well for Nebraska on that end of the court. And I'm not saying Derek Walker is going to be like a huge difference maker, but he gives you a big body you can play at the five. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, I 
I think we can say that all year. Nebraska's going to have a shot most nights, you know, and they're going to have a couple games where it's clicking and, and they're making three pointers and they're going to, they might run a couple big 10 teams out of the gym, you know, and, and win a couple of those games by 15 points and look like world beaters. But they're also going to have nights where it looks like it did last night, or it looks like it, get, it did against Nevada. And all of a sudden Michigan state's being 85 to 62 or something like that. So they're not there yet. They're on the way, but you know, at least this year, they've got a chance when they step on the court most nights this year, as opposed to last year, when you knew just from the start, they were going to be outmanned at pretty much. Every yeah. So, step by step. You know, I, I was looking at recruiting stuff today and I, we keep looking ahead, but Nebraska's for next year, uh, according to 247 sports, their recruiting class is 25th in the country, number three in the big 10 um, behind Michigan and Michigan state. Um, you're adding a five-star in Bryce McGowan's. You're adding a top 100 guy in Wilhelm Breidenbach. You're adding a great three-point shooter in, in QC Tomanaga. And you're getting Trevor Lakes off a of redshirt year, another great three-point shooter. And the one team this thing's really missing on offense right now is, is a couple knockdown shooters and maybe one more athlete. And, well, look what you're at next year. So I, I, I keep saying you don't want to look ahead too far. But, man, next year looks like it could be the year for Nebraska to really take a huge step forward if, if they – after whatever progress they make this year. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Anything else, fellas? I got nothing. Got nothing? got nothing? All right. Well, safe travels out to West Lafayette. Thank you, uh, Baz. Yeah. I, this will be my first time I haven't driven the car out to West Lafayette, Indiana, and back. Oh, yeah. You were How upset yeah. are you? Well, you know, I mean, I'll be watching uh, Florida A&M on Sunday in an empty arena playing basketball. I don't think we had any run-ins, did we, at Purdue? That was mainly Minnesota. Yeah, we haven't had any real issues with Purdue. I think that was wasn't that one of Young Parker's have first any road in. trips. What's that? One year I was the first year, twenty seventeen, the game winning drive. Remember that it was a night kick yep. in, in Nebraska. Tanner Lee, yeah, Stanley Tanner Morgan. Lee to Stanley Morgan. Yeah, I was really sick that weekend. Oh, so I was like miserable in the car the entire way there. But other than that, it's been pretty. Pretty stable, I think. Last. Oh, year. I remember that game. That was when didn't wasn't there something? There's was an incident that happened on the field after that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The band yeah, was out was, there on the field. No, the band no, was on the field. The band was on the field. No, it was a. It, they had been bad, obviously, and then the disaster was still coming with the way that season finished, and the Riley staff got uh, fired. But the a staffer pointed at Sipple after they were uh, on the last play and said, "Right crazy. about that." Right yeah. about that bleep, yeah. Right, and we did, and then they <laughs> that was like the Kirk, that was like the Kirk Cousins before Kirk Cousins. You like that? God, God I forgot about that. And, and then, remember, uh, remember, Demorne Pearsonell went back to the spot. He was running off the field. and He went back to the spot where he wrecked his knee, and he like stomped on it and pointed down at it. And... <laughs> How did the rest Never of that before. season go, Nebraska? We wrote about we wrote about that. S the rest of the year too. Good. So, all right. Well, hey, thank uh, you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Dinsdale Hyundai for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, we'll meet you again here next week. We'll have plenty to discuss. Maybe a football game, maybe not. A couple more basketball games. Nebraska plays Creighton next week. So, we'll have that to look forward to. And until then, we'll talk to you next time.